0: it's monday night and we've done it again we have made our way into your home and we're doing something very special tonight not only are we on youtube we are in the location that aunt jane gets all her medical information from we're on facebook tonight guys so it's really good to being diversifying our fan base knowing that people out there are just living their lives on the natural progression from friendster so we're here Things are happening. Yeah, we do have a countdown. Thank you, William. I appreciate you checking in on that. I'm reading from the live stream, which I encourage you to tap in. Give us your questions. Let us know what's going on tonight. I'm joined by Ian Boyd. I've got Eric Nolene and of course, our uh, friend in the Blair Witch Project up in the corner. That is Paul Wadlington. We're going to get over a bunch of stuff tonight. Uh, do us a favor, like, and subscribe. Send us those super chats. That's a guarantee that we're going to look into your question. We do have questions from the board tonight, and we do have questions from the comment section. So we are going to get straight at it. Let's talk about uh, a question from the board. I think this is a great way to get us started. And this is uh, from our friend Taylor Troom. So he, and this really for you, Paul, the question is, Uh, Or the observation is, rather, Texas plays OU, Texas A&M, and Arkansas next year. That's a given. That's a known commodity. The question is, will Texas be ready? I think that's probably a given. And is Texas having to do special prep for UGA and Michigan and not the rivals? And then lastly, and this is important, what do you think a satisfactory record is going to be in those three rival games? So there's a lot packed into that. However, I think the main answer lies in how we once viewed the Big 12 versus how the SEC operates. And I'd love for you to expand on that a little bit, Paul.
1: All right, a lot of questions there. So if I forget them, uh, chime in. Uh, and I apologize to be coming to you from the darkness here, but uh, my study light just went out. So uh, so the first thing I would say is, yes, there's going to be some jihad games for Texas A&M. This is proof of concept from Mike Elko in his first year. They could go eight and four, but if they beat Texas in College Station in their finale, the season was all worth it. They have all the momentum in the world, right? That's their thinking. Arkansas, obviously this is a natural rival game for them to circle on the schedule. Uh, We know what they did to us a while ago. That was a different Texas team, Uh, but that's going to be interesting for them. And then finally, what was the third one? Well, the last
0: one really has to do with our our preparation does our preparation change for well, any of these games? Look,
1: the, the, you're going to have some off season prep in the summer. They're going to do Michigan early uh, because just that's the first national spotlight game. It's on the road and it's kind of a tone setter for the season. But there's too many big opponents through the year to steal a bunch of prep. So could they steal a prep session here and there for OU in August? Sure, they'll do the same for Michigan. But there's too many sort of big games to circle that one game and spend all this prep time on. I mean, Michigan last year, because they had such an easy schedule for, for most of it, I mean, they effectively played a, a two-game schedule before they got in the playoff. Uh, they had a Ohio State prep period all through spring practice, all through summer, and even uh, in some of the non-con opponents. So they'd steal a day of preparation just for Ohio State, just because they can. Texas is not going to be able to do that. The good news about the SEC and I know this, the way the schedule falls in the first year is a little strange, uh, but A&M and Arkansas are going to prep Texas, obviously, because they're highly incentivized to win that game. OU will always do that because that's OU. But the point is, all the other teams have their hands full with their part of the schedule. So we're not getting special prep from Florida. We're not going to get special prep from Georgia, really. Uh, you know, They're not going to be running Texas stuff in the spring. I, I think they've got... A bunch of other big marquee games they've got to worry about and that's kind of a nice thing about the sec is you're not going to have texas circled by every single team on the schedule so should be somewhat refreshing
2: you, you know what's interesting about arkansas is uh you know sam pittman's going to be fighting for his job there so it's it's a, it's a double jihad game uh and you've got you know venables might be on the hot seat by then and one way to to cool that down is another win over texas so there's going to be some added incentive in those games and of course we know AM and you know, they've been pretty public about how, what that game means. And they even stated they wanted uh, continuity on the roster so they could be at their best to play Texas a, a year from now. So that's kind of crazy, obvious Jihad games. It's going to be tough for Texas to to prep for anybody outside of going week to week.
0: Now, Ian, you were talking a little bit earlier about the familiarity with Levy at Mississippi state and certainly his um, lack of affinity for lack of a better expression for PK. What, what does that mean? How does that work? Do we have any insight on what that's going to look like going into this season?
3: Well, Jeff Lebby didn't really struggle with P. in the Red River shootout of 2023. Um, he did in 2022, but he also didn't have a quarterback. So you can kind of scratch that one off. Um has kind of struggled with that style of offense in general. So thus far at Texas, he's faced it two and a half times. And two of those times went pretty poorly. The other time being the route in Fayetteville, uh, in 2021. So, uh, you know, I think that one is potentially a unique challenge. just if Lebby thinks he could steal a big win, I believe it's in Starksville, right? Um, yep. I think in general with the move to the sec, like in the, in the big 12, the, the, the problem Texas would have, would they, was they would be facing really good coaching staffs every week who would talk to each other either directly or through the film. Um, And every team would, you know, just game plan the crap out of Texas. The SEC, you don't face that much like matchup driven, matchup conscious game planning to the same extent. You don't face like the brilliant coaching or the difficult asymmetrical strategies as much. The, The challenge in the SEC is that every week you're either facing much bigger, stronger people than you would face in the Big 12 and or an atmosphere unlike you would face in the Big 12. Right. So, like, even, even a game like Starksville or, or Fayetteville, as Texas found in 2021, is really another level beyond most of the Big 12 atmospheres on the road. And when, when you're in, like, you know, Baton Rouge or, uh, you know, one of the other, Tennessee or something like that, another level entirely. Yeah. Uh, so that's really more of the challenge more so than – like getting, being outsmarted is less the concern now than getting, you know, just out toughed or outsized or yelled down, you know?
2: Right. The, the Mississippi state games in Austin,
0: late September.
3: Oh, that's, that's better. Yeah. Let's nope. Uh, nope. let's
0: transition a little bit because I, this is one of the things that we were talking about. And one of the, frankly, the thing we titled the live stream with, which is how our draft class is looking this year. So Uh, I want to give Brett some thanks here. Uh, He's asking us about the 25 class, which obviously is not the class that's going in right now. But I think that's a good place to start. So let's start with this draft class. The one we've got just did our all-star games. We've just had some reports come out from ESPN. Who do we think? Who do we see in those top two rounds? I'll I'll put this with Eric. And then let's talk about the next year. Let's forecast forward. I mean, we've got an hour here tonight. And we've, you know, 52 minutes to kill. So let's get after this. So the first one to you, Eric, is going to be about this upcoming class, the one that's just had the All-Star. They've already made their declarations for the NFL. Who do you see going in those first two rounds?
2: Well, you know, Byron Murphy's made a huge jump in, the, in recent weeks, at least as far as the mocks go. And I think the mocks that are based on uh, the guys that actually talk to scouts and GMs are, you know, I, I can see that happening. Some of the, some of the better guys uh, started that movement. And I think a lot of other people started following line. Uh, so he's he's looking like he's going to be the first uh, Longhorn taken. I'll be really surprised if Devondre Sweat doesn't go in the first round. Uh, you know, a lot of people, I've seen him in the 50s. Uh, you know, I think if he shows up to the combine as a svelte 345, 350 pounds, which is which is doable, uh, I think that somebody's going to take him in the 20s. You know, I, I just don't see how somebody that's that, that occupies that much space up front um, and, and actually has some athleticism, he's not just a space eater, do, doesn't go in the first round. And I actually I'm going to make a prediction that Adonai Mitchell goes ahead of Worthy, even though I'm starting to see Worthy show up uh, in more first round mocks. I think um, I think when they start seeing Mitchell running, running routes at his size, uh, just how fluid and comfortable he is, uh, his ball skills are much better. I think he's going to sneak into the first round, too, or has a chance to. But I
0: do think he'll go in the top top 35 picks. Right. Right. So moving forward into the next year, I mean, so who's on campus right now? And this, this is a, this is a question for the whole group who's on campus right now that you would see next year in the draft. Who are our top options? Obviously you probably want to consider somebody like Quinn, but I mean, there's, there's a lot of variables there, whether he's going to be able to execute that or not. So what are our thoughts for the, the kids on campus now, next year going into the draft?
1: So I think Kelvin banks will be the first guy taken in 25 Yeah, for, for this current team, um, I think he's got a good trajectory. He needs to get stronger, which this third year I think is a good opportunity for that. And uh, I think the NFL is going to love his feet. I think they're going to love his intensity, uh, particularly late in the year. His run blocking also really improved. Uh, he put some terrific stuff on film against Tech, against Washington. Uh, there's several plays where he's driving, uh, you know, their Washington star defensive end five, 10 yards off the football. And, uh, you know, it makes you, makes you wish we could have stuck with the run a little better, not just in the, the headsets, but also the running backs hadn't had two fumbles in the third quarter to allow us to do it. But uh, I think Banks is going to be up there. Hill, obviously not eligible, right? So he's going to yeah, be right. – uh, mm-hmm. and then I guess you go – you know, you're looking at Ewers probably. I think – look, this is a big offseason for Quinn Ewers. Um, if he shows up at, you know, 192 pounds in, in the fall – that's that's not good, actually. You know, typically we're all excited when someone's, you know, thin and rested and ready and all that stuff. But he needs to put on some strength. He needs to put on some good weight. Uh, look at the top performers in the NFL and look at their size. their are hosses. And yeah. I know someone's going to write Brock Purdy in the chat, but I think Brock Purdy is, uh, you know, as much a passenger on that on that journey yeah, as he's, much as he's, a
2: he's highly protected.
1: Well, and you know people. He's big too. Mahomes and you see him on like commercials and stuff, and he looks kind of like a normal guy because there's no scale. Patrick Mahomes is a 230 pound guy.
2: Yeah, he's right big.
1: A lot of it's in his lower body. So it kind of gives you, you know, so you guys all know Josh Allen's big, Justin Herbert, all those guys. But I think you'd be surprised how big the average NFL quarterback is. And Quinn needs to look more like that. Obviously, he needs to throw well and show more progression. Uh, I'm not convinced. He's a top 10 first, you know, first round draft pick, but Will Levis went number five. So what do I know? Quarterbacks are always going to be overdrafted. Ernie
3: was just under 6'1", 212 at the combine. He's, he's, it is, he's got some thick legs. So he's to your point, like these guys that I remember taking an elevator with Colt McCoy on campus when I was a student. And, you know, the thing with Colt was he got bigger as an upperclassman, but he always, uh, he was like so small. And like that was the story on Colt was this guy's like tiny. He had to drink a gallon of milk a day. I am not a big guy, as everyone knows. I was shocked by how much bigger Colt McCoy was than me. With well, like when he was a senior and I was uh maybe the same age.
0: Did he tip you well? <laughs> I think it's I think it's also fair, you know, you watch those. I mean, look. You watch the NBA. You see a point guard, and he may look tiny, and you come to look, and he's you know he's six four. Yeah. I mean, it's there's a lot of that goes into scale too that just doesn't necessarily translate. But,
3: DJ Augustine is small in person, though.
2: Yeah. What oh, about okay. uh, what about Isaiah Bond going in the first round or, or early? I think he's got better you know softer skills than uh, soft skills than Xavier Worthy, and he's already running twenty two something uh, miles per hour. So he's he's not going to sacrifice a whole lot of speed. I could see Isaiah Bond blowing up, and I think there's some people uh, in Austin that feel the same way.
3: Him and Golden both are going to run really well if if they get, both are invited to the Combine. I think you would bet on at least one of them making it after next yeah. year.
0: Well, I want to thank Brett Nelson for that. that. That is one of our super chats. If you want to make sure that you have your question read, please give us one of those. That really helps. We're trying to buy light bulbs for Paul. Let's move on to DK Moore. This is a popular topic. So oh. how, <laughs> how confident... Uh, we're not going to get into the metrics of uh, Jeremy's scale here, but let's say ten, you're super confident, and one, you're not confident at all. How confident are we that DK Moore is is going to end up on campus here?
2: Ooh, man, I, you know we need a we need a time machine because we, really we, this is going to something we're talking about in December. You know, um, right now it's hard to tell. Obviously LSU is putting together a really good class. They've got a lot of momentum. Class momentum is a real thing, especially when you're talking about younger guys that. want to be a part of the the cool class, the cool school. Uh, LSU somehow has captured some of that, despite Brian Kelly helming that ship. Um, And so, you know, and they're going to keep adding good players too. So every good player they add is probably going to help keep other uh, fellow good players in the class. But, you know, that's got a long way to go. Sark is going to do, you know, put together a really good class um, at wide receiver, a good enough class to where they can, you know, take their time and be highly selective and wait, wait and see how uh, DK Moore Uh, his recruitment plays out but you know let's let's be honest what that recruitment's all going to come down to at the very end is going to be very similar to Colin Simmons Texas versus LSU uh, round two probably
0: right do we have a comp I mean is there is there someone let's say let's say DK doesn't happen who, who would you put in the hopper there two or three players that you would be equally or very happy to have in the class
2: well, I think they're going to be able to get Marcus Harris and Andrew Marsh uh, this summer. And, you know, at that point, you've already got two really good players that took a big class last season. They can always go to the portal again. They, they probably would just wait and hold out if they get those two guys. You know, both those guys have very high floors. Uh, so, you know what you're going to get with them. They also have good ceilings, uh, maybe not DK Moore's ceilings. You know, Moore's similar to Ryan Williams, the guy that everybody's going crazy over that just went to Alabama. Uh, so he is a unique talent. Um but, you know, I don't think they should reach. If they want a pure speed guy, they can go with Kelshawn Johnson out of uh, Hitchcock. Uh, but, you know, I think Texas should focus on getting Marcus Harris and Andrew Marsh in the class and then play the long game on more.
0: Right, right. Paul, are you watching any interesting television right now? Are you a Wheel of Fortune guy? What uh, what, what keeps you occupied when you're not talking ball?
1: I don't watch a lot of TV. Uh-huh. I, I, I take a break off of – I just watch sports. So now
0: is that, is that to do with electricity being too expensive or That's what do it? you attribute that to? Yeah.
1: I'm going to run on a hamster wheel and that powers the generator and that gets everything moving. Hey, I, w- I have a question for Eric national signing day is next week. Well, are, is there, there? are there any surprises?
2: No, I, I mean, we haven't heard anything. Uh, you know, I don't, you know, I, I would be shocked if anything materialized. I don't even know of many players that are available. The one guy that they wanted, Alex Foster's pretty much shut things down with Baylor. Uh, so yeah, I don't, I'm not expecting anything. Hopefully something pops up. I would love to have something to cover uh, in February outside of just, you know, opinion articles and chasing down recruits, dialing for quotes. Um, but you know, I, I don't know of anything that would, would uh, happen for the 2024 class.
1: Is the, is the Terry Bussey drama now sort of LSU?
2: I think that kid's going to stay at A;m I think it was always going to be very tough to pull him out of that he likes that smaller town environment um, and and you know that Am staff is doing a really good job of getting pushed I've, I've talked to a couple recruits that say you know what I like these guys better um, and so I think that actually helps them uh, with uh, with Terry Bussy. so I would expect I would expect him to play I think that kid is it's really hard to move him off of a commitment he's just wired that way uh, and then I think that environment appeals to him as well.
0: What about, so let's move on. I mean, just because we do have, obviously the signing period's coming up and it's February. So let's talk about 25. Why not? Helio's got a question for us and let's bring that one up. So we've got our second day, signing day coming up. So let's go ahead and, and forecast into 25. And I think the question that Helio is asking here is really more of a numbers game. So what are we seeing? Are we Are we going to be more defensive heavy or offensive heavy in this 25 class? Well, there's gonna there. There will be
2: more defensive players for sure. They're gonna take a smaller wide receiver class. The O line class will be pretty sizable, and they'll take their customary two running backs. They might even take three wide receivers. So already we're looking at a good, at a pretty sizable class there. However, on defense, they're they're gonna load up on edge because you always need pass rushers. But they really have to go heavy at defensive tackle. And then because they only took one linebacker last season, they're gonna take three or four uh, this year. Um, so, and then of course, you know, you always got to take your DBs. They'll take two or three corners. They'll take another safety. Maybe a guy that, 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 can play swing nickel, uh, somebody like Dorian brew. I went and saw Dorian brew today. That guy can play anything. He is big. He's 6'2, 200. Um, I I've come across smaller college, uh, linebacker prospects than him. Um, so they're, they're going to go big on defense, but you know, I'm interested to see what they do at tight end because there's some really, really good ones in state after a, a, a long layoff of having quality, you know, elite prospects. They've got a few of them this cycle. They've already got one in the class. Uh, o line four or five probably, but you know they're they're already going to they're probably going to lose some guys in the spring just because the depth chart is so robust. They have so many players at the position. Uh, so if you're looking for who is going to have more, it's going to be defense. Uh, and I think by you know I think that's pretty obvious at this point.
0: So Ian, this is the question. I mean, look, I I don't want to go out on too far of a limb here, but I feel like the people in this virtual room are Cook fans. But what do we see? I mean, what do we see in terms of snap count? for anthony with uh with our additions our recent additions from the portal do you you see any game planning changing with that or what are your thoughts on that ian
3: uh it got a little trickier when they brought in silas bolden it kind of depends on how they view him um they have they have an awful lot of competition there i think matthew golden is he can play inside or outside but he's probably gonna end up outside because he can um Bond. It's hard to imagine Bond not having a starting role. He could also be inside or outside. I, I, I had Cook pegged for slot. I think before they added Bolden, um, but that guy. I, I mean, it's hard to overlook the fact that Bolden is maybe the most uh, accomplished and productive receiver that'll be in Texas's room next year. Right. And he's definitely a right. slot. So I, I mean, maybe they maybe they use him as more of a gadget guy, but. And it, it maybe may he's in a timeshare because he can play multiple positions or maybe he's a starter. But I don't know. That, I mean, it sounds like they're just going to let him compete this spring and see how yeah, it plays out. It's going it. to come down to
2: Jonte uh, and his work ethic and how he how he responds to having this competition. You know, he's not going to just be anointed the, the spot just because three guys left. Um, I do think that, you know, Worthy could play all three of the wide receiver positions, whereas Bolden is going to be uh, hamstrung at, at slot. But they really like Bolden. They brought him in for more than just special teams. They do see him as a slot receiver. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think Jonte is going to play a lot. You know, we're going to see more rotation this next year than, than the previous year. But they expect very big things out of Bond and Golden. They think there's a chance both are gone after next season. So that tells you automatically those two guys are going to play a lot. Uh, but Jonte is going to play a lot, too. And it's going to come down to how he, how he performs and, and responds this offseason. But I've already heard he's uh, getting after it pretty good in the weight room.
1: Hey, one thing on Golden, real quick. Um, he's played two seasons. He hasn't finished. He hasn't played all games in either one. Right. So he's uh, he's pretty tightly wound. Yeah, and totally he's a, he's a little bit of a sports car. So sometimes he ends up in the shop for two or three days, and you need to drive the loaner Ford Taurus. And uh, I'm not suggesting Jonte is that, but you know, all these questions are interesting in that, like, this is what we want. We want right. good players feeling insecure. And sure. having to compete. And if they get all sad and upset and flustered and they transfer out. See ya.
2: Yeah, the, the staff is not worried about that. They actually thought a few more guys were going to transfer out uh, that didn't. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they're like, all right, good. We're happy they stayed. But, you know, we're not going to change anything about the offseason. They, they, if they stay, they got to compete. So what Paul's talking about is 100 percent how the how the uh, staff operates. One of the talking- in
1: the chat. Sorry, guys. Will Levis was a second-round pick. That's right. The kid from Florida was fifth to the Colts. Yeah, my bad. Sorry about that.
0: So let's – and I want to think – Do you
2: have to give some money back when we're wrong? uh,
0: Well, let's hope not because I (laughs) totally messed up Jonte's name. Called him Anthony. So I would be in the deficit right now. But thank you to Football Junkies bringing us back into the black. So the question here is everybody's really curious about drafts, and we're going to just jump ahead to 26. (laughs) Who do we see here? (laughs) We've got – Mohammed or Williams, who do you think was first off the board in 26 and could Baxter be a three and out guy? You want to take uh, this Let's start with you, Eric.
2: I'll go Mohammed as the, you know cuz the, the priority of corner over safety. Yeah. Um and then I do think Baxter's going to be a three year guy. He's got a lot to prove next season. I don't have any concerns over it. I saw the deficit, you know, I, he played he wasn't very efficient as a runner last year. I, you know, we could all see that, but at times he was electric. Um I think he is going to be a three and out. I think <laughs> I think this staff wants nothing but three and outs, you know, James is probably going to be three and out, Uh, keep the assembly line moving, but yeah, I'd go uh, Muhammad over Williams. And if, you know, if Anthony Hill played a more prior, a premium position, it would be him, but it's just, you know, it's not, not 2002 anymore, but uh, I think Hill's going to be the best player on defense that going into that draft. Uh, But Muhammad being a a, a lead corner
0: is going to give him uh, the edge, edge on that one. Thank you so much for that football junkie. We appreciate y'all coming in with those super chats. Here's another one. Uh, Brett Wilson is is really trying to, to fund Paul's electricity bill tonight. So let's, again, we're just forecasting all kinds of crazy stuff tonight. We'll start with you, Ian. Let's oh. have our early Red River shootout prediction. What are you seeing there, Ian?
3: Oh.
0: Um, I'm going to go 106 to 4. No,
2: nobody riles up OU fans like Ian, so this, this whole section <laughs> should be Ian's. <laughs>
3: They're uh they they should be pretty good on defense next year, Oklahoma. And uh, last year I remember or I mean this just this last one, they looked a little out of sorts pretty often against Iowa State the week before Texas. And then the week they played Texas, their linebackers were like uh it's like they it's like they had like the uh what's that Christopher Nolan movie where the you see things like a few steps in advance to, Tenet. tin yeah, they, they, their linebackers were all like Tenet, like just running to spots before Texas play had even developed. So uh, I, I think that it's going to be hard to blow them out. But on the other side, Oklahoma's offense is poised for a tough season, in my opinion. Yep. I think their quarterback – I think people are, are not adjusting to the fact that young quarterbacks need more time in modern football. We had like a blip of like maybe about a decade – where young quarterbacks are coming in and dominating very quickly because defenses hadn't adjusted to the spread and they would give coordinators and quarterbacks really simple looks. And then they would just pick them apart. Now they don't do that anymore. And now you're seeing a big difference in whether or not young quarterbacks can know where to throw the ball, like Quinn Ewers, right? Quinn Ewers is going to be entering this next year. We're finally going to wonder like where he's on like a, a more normal trajectory, like a, like a early early 2000s or 90s quarterback right because he it wasn't as easy for him to just know where to throw it even with sark dialing stuff up i you could see it in the bowl game with their young quarterback uh uh, jackson arnold i mean he's kind of staring stuff down he's locked in they're just running rpos um he's an amazing physical talent but i think that their offense in general has just got and their offensive line is completely rebuilt they only had one guy coming back who was very talented and they got poached by Missouri of all places. so uh I I, I it's possible that it could be a very satisfying Texas victory, but something more in the realm of like uh, like twenty seven to six or something like that.
2: okay all right, Wow. I don't, I don't, the way I saw them come out in that stadium, I'll, I'll never discount their chances again. That was something to see. They were they were playing with their hair on fire for four quarters. That was that was a wild one. I, Texas should win. Texas is a better player, a team on paper. They're you know they've got they're on a good ro- much better roster cycle than OU. You know they're going to be ranked two or three to enter the season for a reason. Uh, so I think yeah, I think Texas by you know ten points or so. But I don't know. I'm still I'm still licking my wounds from that
0: last time watching those uh, watching those two go at it. So Eric, this is this next question is probably more specifically driven to you given, and I hate to use this term, but let's face it, it is some insider information. Um, I, I don't know your LSU connections directly. You keep those very close to the chest. But uh, Huff Text again, super chat. Really want to thank everybody for doing that. This is a five dollars super chat, so really thank you to Huff Text. But he's curious: uh, When do we let DK know that Brian Kelly is a chode? Now, is that something that we want to do in December? And how much of that has to do with the early signing period?
2: Yeah, you got to hold back all the ammo. Don't don't show the the video of BK dancing with guys uh, right. in the dark. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know. I really don't know how they got that off and running so so uh, so quickly. Obviously, having the number one player in the country and, and him being a quarterback, Bryce Underwood helps out a lot. But you know, and then Harlan Barry's right down the street. And he's a he's kind of a, a Baton Rouge kid, no matter what. So that helps. The, the DK one is a little bit more surprising, but you know, they treated you know the week after Colin Simmons committed to Texas like signing day for DK. Uh, and when you show that urgency, uh, you know, you're gonna you're gonna have uh, you're gonna be rewarded with a commitment. Uh, Can they hold on to it? You know, I don't know about that. I I still think he's going to end up at Texas. I just I know that kid loves loves UT. It's right down the street. Um, Texas is doing well with Duncanville and really that whole corridor of Texas. Uh, So we'll see. We should keep count how many times we get asked about DK over the next uh, you know seven or eight months. But Uh, Well, if we
0: are asked about DK, we just simply ask that it's a super chat. And we want to thank HuffTex for doing that. Let's let's get Uh, to George Lopez. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is this is let's talk to George Lopez. By the way, George, massive fan of your work. Great content. Thank you. Appreciate that, George. He's curious about the in-state D-line and wide receiver recruiting. What what do we have that's in-state that is uh, really a highlight for Mm -hmm. us coming in?
2: Well, it's a very strong D line class to, to include the edge. Um, you know, they've already got Lance Jackson in the, in the class. I think he's an absolute stud. He'll play Jack. Jacks are harder to find than Bucks. I uh, talked to Chad Woodfork actually right before I came on on this. Um, Texas is in good shot, uh, shape with him, Summer Creek uh, kid. He'll play the Buck, um, sort of like that George, uh, uh, Joseph Osai build, a bit narrow, but long. Um, shock power for this, despite being wiry. Uh, you know, they, they look really good for him. I think, you know, when, every time I talk to him, he, he just reminds me of a kid that would go to Texas, even if he wasn't playing football. Um, you know, Camorian Morgan just moved to South Oak Cliff, another edge. You know, Texas isn't a good spot for him. Talking to him at junior day, you know, his face, he was just had a giant smile on his face the whole time. Normally, when I see that, I've got a pretty good feeling how it's going to end. Uh, and then there's Smith the Rogue Bow over in uh, A-Leaf. He just he was just at OU this weekend. He might be more, more intriguing than the other two. <clears throat> now, Lance is a whole different animal because he can play Jack. But as far as Bucks, man, I think Smith the Rogue Bo is very interesting. Maybe he might end up being the best player when it's all said and done out of the three I just mentioned. Uh, interior D-line is very strong. Zion Williams, they got to get him out of Lufkin. Uh, there's a handful of other interior defensive linemen. Dylan Battle out of Mansfield. DJ Sanders out of Belleville. I'll see him Thursday. Uh, you know, I mean, it's 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 just a banner year for a defensive lineman. You hardly ever find this many in Texas that, especially you know, that are this good. You're lucky if you can find one in a lot of cycles. Uh, Texas should be able to do very well. And then wide receiver recruiting, you know, you don't worry about that. Uh, get Andrew Marsh, best in-state wide receiver outside of DK. Uh, Marcus Harris from Modern days out of state kid, but you know, taking a Modern Day kid is every bit as rewarding as taking a taking an in-state kid because that could help you get another Modern Day kid down the down the road. So. Texas is in a very good position, really, really across the board. The only position that I'm really kind of curious about is how it's going to end up is uh, safety, not worried about it. Just there's just not a whole lot of targets on there. You know, corner is going to take a while to play out just because some guys are committed elsewhere, or leaning elsewhere. Uh, but Texas is in fantastic shape uh, in February. It's, you know, it's, they're, they're selective and things might take a little while to play out. It never happens as, as quickly as, as fans would like. Uh, but the, the, but the, the staff being selective and the way they operate, is what's best for the long term because what's what matters is what you add to the roster because you know signing day doesn't matter Win- winning on Saturdays
0: is what matters with with signing day Brent is asking a question that I don't know that we're terribly comfortable talking about but I think we can give a little bit of insight here and that has to do with the donors have you heard anything about more donors stepping up because again this is Texas is really kind of on the the vanguard of the nil specifically with the collectives they were really early on in that and i'm curious if you have any insight and brent is asking the same question have have we seen more donors come in now that we've got what uh, tom herman loved to refer to as alignment with everybody lined up ready to go has that really helped with the donor situation
2: well, Brent is quite persistent because he ended the uh, chat on, what's Monday. So Wednesday, last Wednesday's chat, he ended, that's a friend of mine who shows up to a lot of happy hours. It's good to see him as always. He goes back to the barking carnival uh, recruiter cosm days. Uh, yeah. I, you know, NIL efforts are moving in the right direction. There's that's, that's true for sure. Um, you know, what's, Yeah, and this is touchy, but, you know, the the number one thing you have to make sure you can take care of is the the most recent uh, signing class. You know, all those commitments are upheld and Texas is in good shape. there. better shape than a lot of colleges are. You know, there's a lot of false promises that go out. Um, I think Texas is in good in good position. The problem that you're going to have is year to year, you're going to have programs that are on the upswing. Um, You know, you might have Miami up one year right now. Clearly, Ohio State is up and Ole Miss are up. So Texas is going to be steady, always top five, I think. There might be some cycles where there might not be, you know, as 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 well healed as some others, uh, but steady steady's going to win the race long term. But yeah, some of those programs are going to be on the upswing. Like you know, clearly Oregon Oregon's not going to be outbid if they really want a guy. Um, I heard that today. <laughs> I heard that today from somebody that that would know. Um, so you don't want to see go a lot of head to head where you know nil is the final factor.
0: Paul, I haven't heard your voice in a while, and it's Sorry really starting that. to upset me. So here's a question. Uh, this is from Tracy Jackson. She Actually, is curious. No, please, yes, please.
1: Before that question, can I chime in on that one?
0: God. Yeah, no, no. Sure, sure. Whatever you want to do.
1: All right. So uh, I do kind of keep track of this and I do talk to people. And the thing that's important to know is that some programs are big donor-based or they might have one guy effectively or, or two guys. And then some are broad-based. So the most effective NIL groups to date have been broad-based. And then also you try to get big donors as well. The degree to which you get big donors depends upon your athletic department. So is your AD talking to big donors and talking to them about NIL? Uh, At Texas, the answer is no. Uh, That's just the reality of it. So the other part then is it needs to be on us in a sense, you know, broad. uh, Auburn. Has broad donations. They just have a bunch of people giving $50 and $100 and it adds up. And if you look at Auburn's recruiting class after being irrelevant for the last five or six years, it gives you some idea and perspective of how they're doing. Ohio State, broad. Uh, their AD also has sent a letter after they lost to Michigan and said, now's the time. If you want to take Ohio State football to the next level, and they had both alums and broad donors contribute. And right now, Ohio State is killing it. So uh, they've retained a bunch of guys who were projected to be second round draft picks. And some of them may be first round. And then they also, I think, unless I'm mistaken, Eric, they, they've got the two top 2025 corners right now verbally committed. Uh, we'll see if that holds. But uh, the point is, is, it's not all on just some magical rich alumni that's going to fix everything. If Texas fans want to have the best product on the field, then they need to participate. And at the same time, we need to also have the athletic department also understand the importance of NIL to getting the product on the field.
0: Well, thank you for that, Paul. That was uh, uncharacteristically insightful. And I'm sorry that I was a little bit reluctant to have you speak. So that was great. I want to ask you now about scheme. Are you okay with that? Sure. Okay, great. This will be for Ian and for Paul. Tracy is asking us about PK's scheme. So we had a little bit of what what Tracy is referring to as some soft cob coverage uh, used against UW. Um, I'm curious, and this has been discussed with um, with our secondary, and maybe changing our coverage to something more akin to single high. What are you seeing in terms of potential changes going into the next season with our secondary and coverage schemes? <clears throat>
1: Ian, you want to take a crack at it first?
0: Yep, fair enough.
3: Sure. Um, I don't know if... In Washington, they really blended... Um, I mean, the, the whole design of his scheme at Washington, which, by the way, was largely overseen and impl- implemented by Jimmy Lake um, and, and taught by Jimmy Lake, although Kwiatkowski knows how it works and, and was obviously in favor of it. They would play... They would blend like man coverage, like Dwayne Aquina in your face man coverage with soft zone based on a number of different factors. But they did they did some of each. Um, And I I would say, honestly, the same is true at Texas, even though some of the schemes are different. Like people will complain about soft coverage, but sometimes Texas would have like the far corner might be eight yards off the ball, but the throw had to go the length of the field before it even got there. And then the boundary corner, Ryan Watts or, or Malik Muhammad might be in press coverage. So, um, I honestly, the, the off versus soft coverage thing at Texas, I find uh, just not that useful for describing what's what's been going on at Texas, what they have and haven't done. They did definitely play a lot more press towards the end of last year, like across the board at every spot. Um, but then they also tried that against Washington and it got them killed. So mm-hmm. it, it's not really – it's, it's it seems like a really simple uh, paradigm for understanding what is or isn't going right with Texas' defensive pass defense. But uh, the truth is a little more nuanced and maybe not that interesting for me to drone on about for 20 minutes on the live show. Paul?
1: <laughs> Same. Uh, yeah, right. I, I think you – so. Know, any coverage that doesn't work is characterized typically as soft coverage, right? Fair and, enough. Yep. Uh, yeah, we could be I've, – I've seen game threads where we're in press man trying to get an arm, on a jab on a guy off the line of scrimmage, and they score, and they're like, soft coverage. And it's like, <laughs> right. not really. Uh, also, it should be pointed out, Michigan played off coverage against Washington for most of that game, but yeah. it wasn't soft coverage. It was very aggressive off coverage where they were – they had uh, a, at least always a safety, if not two, backing them up. And they basically were attacking and swarming to the ball. And, you know, up front, they were playing extremely aggressively. They weren't playing run. They weren't respecting the run at all. I mean, just completely ignoring it on neutral downs. Second and four, they, they weren't even respecting like a run could happen. They had their defensive ends standing up, sprinting up the field. So, you know, it's, it's a different deployment. And – I think the off season is where we've seen Sark have the biggest voice and the most impact on PK's philosophies because, you know, Sark has said, look, on key downs, I want us on, on people. I want coverage. I don't want to count on the opposing quarterback to make a mistake to, to get off the field. Like that's not, you know, passing games are getting too good and too sophisticated and too coordinated to sort of rely on people to screw up to get your defense off the field. So I think we'll, we'll tinker with some stuff. I think this is going to be a really interesting offseason because also up front, we have some players that may not be fully suited to what we were doing last year with Byron Murphy and Devondre Sweat. You know Vernon Broughton and Alfred Collins, their strengths aren't necessarily uh, controlling four guys between the two of them. Uh, they're, they're penetrating defensive tackles, so they're going to have to make some decisions there And uh, my hope is they don't try to turn them into something that they're not. So we'll see. With uh,
0: this next question, I'd like to bring, uh, well, all four of us in on this one, but primarily you three, because you're better than I am. Greg Guacamole is asking us, what do we think? What are the odds? Colin Simmons is a starter as a freshman. Now, I, I would like to alter this question a little bit. How many games into the season until Colin Simmons is a starter? Are we seeing him day one starter? What are we thinking there? We'll start with you, Eric. Well,
2: yeah, I don't know how the spring's going to go. I don't know how August is going to go. He's got the chance to start, but I think um, I think he's more likely to be a situational player like Anthony Hill to start, the, start his career. Um, how's he going to play the run? You know, there's a lot to learn on uh, about playing the run. You got to, you know, use proper technique. Uh, you can't just be an athlete and play the run. Sometimes you can be an athlete and get after the quarterback, but that doesn't work uh, playing the run. Uh, so I think I think there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve for him. Uh, he's got some good players ahead of him, uh, especially if they don't move uh, Ethan Burke. If they, if it's going to be tough for him to beat out Ethan Burke uh, to start his career. But he's going to play a lot. You know, that we I knew when they got him that they were already planning on packages with him and Anthony Hill on third down. So I mean, this is that, that's been way out. You know, everything they sold him on as a freshman is going to come true. Uh, it's just a matter of whether or not he can jump the curve and uh, and be, be better against the run. Now, it's too early to tell. He's going to play a lot. You're going to feel his impact. You're going to be happy that you got the five-star on the team. I just don't know if he's going to come out with a, uh, the first team to start the season. I don't really think it matters either.
3: You know who's, you know who's part of the problem here for him is uh, Colton Vosick. I mean, if that guy's healthy and has a great offseason, they, they have guys that they've been stacking now that are actually really talented.
2: Yeah, they love Vosick.
3: Uh, and then uh, also our, uh, our South, Oath, South Oak Cliff guy.
2: Um, Billy uh, Wall's, Yeah, Walton's probably a year away. I, you know, I think Trey Moore's going to play a lot. Uh, right now Trey Moore is considered an edge, so they don't have him with the Sam linebacker. So right now it doesn't look like Trey Moore is going – of course nothing really matters right now. They're going to tinker a whole lot in the spring. But right now uh, Trey Moore's with the Bucks rather than the, the linebackers.
3: Surely he'll play. Surely he'll play like Eric said situationally. Like, I don't know, it's going to be hard to keep him off the field on third down at right. some point here.
2: I'm more intrigued to see if Darian Gillette comes out at Sam. Like, he's working at Sam. That would be super intriguing. He's got – I mean, Darian Gillette's bigger than Colin Simmons.
1: Yeah. Let me ask you this. Uh, if I'm, I'm actually surprised Trey Moore's not playing Sam. So, uh, is there a chance Colin Simmons – could get Sam linebacker reps,
2: and maybe that's so, maybe so. But right now, yeah, right now they're still considered both edges. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're gonna tinker. I mean, last year, Cecilia Kahn went back and forth. Yeah. Uh, so even to even Akana has been at uh, at edge still. Um, but you know, that could change in a, in a heartbeat. You know, it could change next week. Uh, but yeah, right now they're just, you know, get, they've got them with the edges, and you know, we'll see what happens in the spring. I'm sure they've got all kinds of different variations up, you know, because you know, Maurice Blackwell still at Sam, uh, Darian Gallette is considered a Sam. Uh, But I'm with you. I think Trey Moore at Sam and just fit him in there at at Jet Bush's role, let Blackwell uh, worry about Will uh, makes the most sense to me. A lot of times what what makes the most sense actually ends up playing out. Uh, Just, you know, they have a path before they get there.
0: What are we uh, staying on the defense and staying with some recognizable players? How how are we feeling about Anthony Hill? What What do we want to see from him next year in terms of that growth?
2: What does totally dominate mean? I think he's going to be fantastic. I, I don't think that there's going to be a whole lot of uh, missing uh, Jalen Ford as far as, um, you know, playing the run. But uh dropping into coverage, there's still some wait and see there. But I, I think he's I don't I don't think I've ever seen a freshman learn as fast as Anthony Hill on the fly uh, from from having a package role to being basically a starter at the end of the season. You'd only make one mistake once and you never make that mistake again that, that I saw. So. He's fantastic. He's got a higher ceiling than Jalen Ford, but, you know, he's going to have to see – he's going to be playing Mike. It's a different position than what he played, so they're going to put even more on his plate uh, this next season.
1: So on this, this is interesting because it's something Ian and I watched with attention. He really drew my attention to it first. It was the Harold Perkins problem, right? He debuted basically his job as a true freshman. was just be athletic, fly off the edge against every team, and then some teams started to turn that against him right? Uh, they either screened him or they ran a draw inside of him, or they went big and they ran the ball at him. And, you know, he weighed 218 pounds and he's trying to hold up on the edge. Right. This last year, they moved him to linebacker, like true linebacker. He wasn't very good. I mean, he's still super athletic and made some plays yeah. just being super athletic out there. But LSU's defense was garbage and he wasn't the reason their secondary was terrible, but it's not like he helped. And, you know, Anthony Hill is a better all-around football player. Absolutely, and the degree to which he can adapt to this linebacker role and playing Mike. Now we're talking about a potential NFL draft pick that's that's really high. And then linebackers, you know, something the NFL doesn't value hugely. I mean, broadly speaking, particularly an inside linebacker. But he's a guy with versatility. You know, it's right. I mean, people always make this comp, and he's not as big or, or quite as freaky, but. You know, that's where Micah Parsons sort of transcends the position of linebacker. And he just sort of lines up wherever it makes plays. And, you know, Anthony Hill might be one offseason away from becoming a guy like that, which would be unbelievable for us.
2: I, I agree. I, you know, maybe we talk about this another time, but I think linebacker might be the hardest position to evaluate because a lot of those guys are playing athlete positions like Harold Perkins. And so when you're looking at the guys that they're after in this class and they've got one committed already, Anthony Williams, He's a six foot three, 195 pound edge player. So you have to you have to project him at you know playing a much more nuanced role uh, in college. And some guys pull it off. Demarvin Overshone didn't even actually pull it off. <laughs> I mean, he started to pull it off and then he went he was out. Right? Yeah. Um, Malik Jefferson had to make that transition. Uh, you know, it's a hard position to project. You really have to get to know the player mentally, you get to know his aptitude. You got to put him on the chalkboard. Um, I like some of those guys that aren't six three but know how to find the. Find the ball carrier, you know, like Gavin Nix at IMG. Uh, so, yeah, you know, that's why this this linebacker class is going to be interesting. But that's another reason you got to, that people are, are too low on Ty Anthony Smith in this class. He's got all the athletic traits and the length, but then he's playing off the ball and finding the ball carrier. It doesn't matter what offense they're running; he's he's, he's wreaking havoc on them. So, Ty Anthony Smith was an absolute steal. But it's a hard position to evaluate.
3: I I will I do think there's some chance of a sophomore slump for Hill because they're going to put more on his plate.
2: Yeah, maybe so because of the overload.
3: They really protected him last year. They didn't – he had pretty simple assignments last year. And he had Devondre Sweat and Byron Murphy ahead of him.
2: That's where you hope that Kendrick Blackstreet can be a fail-safe. And also maybe Leonga LaFalle. Leonga LaFouille played there all last uh, last season. So he's got, it, he's got it down. And Leonga's natural in coverage as well.
3: The um, advantage the advantage Hill has, though, is that unlike the vast majority of really athletically talented linebackers coming out of the state of Texas, he actually played inside linebacker for three years at Didn't ryan Right, and so the the angles and the the sights it's it's not as it's not as complicated for him as it would it for Smith or for like Malik Jefferson back in the day or
2: yeah Darian Galette I mean Darian Galette is you know athletically you know if you look at his junior tape he's he's a mess as a linebacker I, I, my my I'd said they should just put him at edge and just be done with it but they like where his progression is coming if if he can make that progression I'm pretty sure Anthony Hill is going to be okay at Mike. But like I said, they can always put Hill back at will and, and let uh, Blackshear and Leonga uh, worry about Mike. But it'll be interesting to see. That's why, you know, one of the, there's so many things to track versus, uh, during spring ball. You guys are going to really want to watch these live streams uh, when spring ball is ongoing. We're going to have so much to talk about.
0: One of the th- the main topics that have been on the boards, and, and, and again, we're 47 minutes into this, and it's a good time to remind people that this is sponsored by InsideTexas.com. One of the topics that have been coming up a lot at InsideTexas.com, and we recommend that you please uh, check us out there. It's $1 for a month of insight and coverage. But the thing that we've been talking about a lot is who's going to be backing up Manning. And really what we're talking about there is KJ Lacey, or are we talking about Mm -hmm. Trey Owens? So what do we got there? Let's, Let's maybe take it back to our friend Eric. I mean, this is something that you've been writing about quite a bit this week. What do you yep. see happening there,
2: man? I wish I was a, as good at reading the future as you guys think I am. Um, yeah, you know, I think they're going to be able to hold on to KJ Lacey. You know, he uh, he he shoulder he shoulder faked uh, you know Lane Kiffin this weekend about going to Ole, Ole Miss. He's saying all the right things behind the scenes. I know somebody that interacted with him with quite a bit over the last few days. Kid speaks very highly of Texas, very highly of Sark. Uh, he lem- lamented the fact that he wished he would have known Ryan Williams uh, was going to uh, cancel his visit for the January 27th. So he could have gone to junior day. Um, so he's saying all the right things. I think he's you know, I-, I think he's about as solid as a kid from Alabama can be. That's got, you know, every school, a lot of schools in the country coming after him. You know, we'll see the longer that goes, the less likely it is for him to decommit. Um, really, really proper kid like he's got he's got his stuff together. He's, he's not the decommit guy like you talked about Lagway sticking with Florida last year. Um, I think Texas has a good chance to hold on to Lacey, uh, but I love Owens. And there's, there's, you know, there it's, it's hard to make up for having a year head start on a guy, you know, Mac Jones, you know, kept uh, Bryce Joe, Bryce Young at bay because he had that experience. Uh, so Trey Owens is going to have a chance to play at Texas. He's got a huge arm, how, how well he processes and all that, but it's always a huge advantage. We got asked about uh, uh, Gooseby a minute ago, Goosby had, being in the process in, in the, Program a year ahead of Brandon Baker is a huge advantage, even though Brandon Baker is more naturally talented. Just having that experience is huge. So uh, I'm not sleeping on Trey Owens. Guy's got a really good work ethic, strong arm, good skill set for the offense. Uh, and KJ Lacey's going to need time to physically develop. That guy's not going to be you know ready for the first year or two at least.
0: We got a uh, super chat from Kyle Witherspoon that I want us to, to hit. Boom! Thank you. I know, one too. <laughs> Thank you, Kyle. We really appreciate you hitting us up here. We have talked a little bit about scheme earlier today with the defense and and our definitions of some coverage things, but what do we, what do we think? Do we got a top 20 defense coming back, going into the sec next year, specifically in relation to what coach Baker's going to be, be bringing to that interior D line. Do, uh, which one of you wants to jump on this one?
3: I, I mean, assuming we're going by like advanced stats and not, you know, total, total defense or something like that. Um, because, you know, the, these stats are all going to take into account. These, all these stats that everyone's been using are not primed to really take account of the fact that there's two conferences now, as Paul likes to say, and then a bunch of other, bunch of other guys. But um, I think it is possible because the secondary has so many extremely talented and smart veteran athletes now, which, I mean, you look at the 2005 Texas team, they weren't even very good at linebacker, honestly. Um, except for Drew Kelso, of course. And uh, <laughs> the 2009 team was better, but I don't know if either of those guys were drafted anytime soon after that either. So uh, e- even if Hill is not amazing, he probably can't be that bad because he's just so powerful and good. Um, that I mean, they have some of the pieces that can make for a winning defense. I I think you have to at least say that.
0: That's it. Great. Huff Texas coming back with another super chat. We want to thank again, everybody for doing this. This is keeping us fed. So let's talk about, let's talk about our favorite, our favorite D back. The guy that just will not go down. So do we think our, uh, our friend Taffy here is going to grab us uh 24. He's going to be still be making some plays in 24. I mean, God, he just, I, I find it really, he's one of these guys. You just absolutely cannot
1: count out. What are our thoughts there, Paul? He's going to play a bunch. I think he's going to – look, he's a better athlete than is credited, and he's very bright. He's a stabilizing force, and he's still growing physically. You know, He's – I think people almost think of him as like he's a fifth-year senior. You know, I, he, he's what, a, a second – is he a second- or third-year sophomore? He'll be a junior coming up. So he'll be a third-year junior. I mean, that's that's not – he's just now sort of coming into his powers, and, and this offseason he'll probably put on some good weight. He's a very willing hitter and tackler, Uh, you know, he's a good player. Now it just so happens there's some really elite players that are coming in to to fight him for his position. So he's going to find his way on the field. He's going to play. The question is, you know, is he a true starter or is he just, you know, alternating snaps? Is PK going to keep up the thing where he's rotating a bunch of guys? Um, I'm kind of curious about that. I'd like to see some of those rotations tighten up in the secondary, because I think it allows you to be a little bit more cohesive and you get more reps, so you get better at what you're doing, not just individually, but as a group. Uh, and then Ian, 2009 Texas defense. Muckle Roy. was the middle linebacker. Ocho and Keenan Robinson were the two outside linebackers.
2: So, yeah, Muckle Roy yeah. got drafted in the fourth round, I think. Didn't the Bengals? Yeah, Muckle Roy was you
3: know
1: a good I... NFL career before he got hurt.
3: Okay, well, he was good. But, uh, H- uh, Ocho and Robinson were both like two years out from being drafted.
1: They were two years out from being the dudes, or maybe yeah, two years out, yeah. But they were they were pretty good as sophomores. I
3: mean, you should
2: love get nachos I... on with Paul. <laughs> Stay Nacho
0: all day. <laughs> staying with the uh staying. All right, let's talk about Baker specifically with scheme. What? And again, we talked about Fangio's defense when when he was hired. We looked into this a little bit. But what are we thinking here, Ian? I mean, how much? How are you seeing major scheme changes because of losing? obviously Sweat and Murphy. Does that change the scheme all that much, or is, or is the objective still the same with Baker?
3: Well, we'll see. Um, you know, when they hired Nansen, you wondered if they might mix some things up. Cause Nan- but um, when they hired Baker, I mean, Baker has really come up teaching the kinds of things that PK does. And PK has shown for a while now, that his strategy is usually, I'm gonna teach certain things. And I mean, he, just, he seems much more like a coach him up than a throw it out and start over on the whiteboard kind of guy. Not that he's not adaptive, but I, he just seems to lean more into him and his staff's ability to teach what he wants, right? Like this was a big frustration for all of uh, 2021 was that they were running the scheme and it was like, they don't have anywhere near the guys they need to run the scheme. And they're like, well, we're just going to teach it and they'll get better at it with time. And they did. Um, so, uh, but as for this specific question, I mean, you cannot play in college football, you cannot play multiple edges that don't know how to play the run. Like college teams aren't going to sit back and drop, aren't going to drop back and throw the ball 40, 50 times. Hardly ever. They're just going to run the ball. Um, So no.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, great. So that's a, you know, it's a roundabout way of saying no. Great. We got there. We got there in the end. I would like to thank everybody for checking us out today. We are, we are running up against the hour here with five minutes to spare. And I know that young Ian has to, uh, I I don't know. God. Yeah. Are all your kids in bed? How many do you have to put to bed tonight? Four? Are they pretty self-sufficient at this point?
3: They should all be in bed. If not, then I have a long night ahead of me.
0: Right. Fair enough. Great. Well, we want to thank everybody for checking us out. Again, we are sponsored at InsideTexas.com. Please, it is $1 for the month. Uh, Allow us to earn your business. There is a lot of amazing insight we've got going on. Obviously, these great contributors are on there as well. And we really would love to see you. Please like and subscribe to these things. It really helps us out. And we will see you later. Thanks so much, everybody.